0: I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 52 of the podcast. Very excited to be here with you, as always. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please go snipe that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action coming your way here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, Navy SEAL week continues today. I am going to be fortunate to speak to another first-class father and former Navy SEAL. Brandon Webb will be joining me in just a few moments, so please stick around. You do not want to miss that. Uh, yesterday on the podcast, I had the married couple, uh, former Navy SEAL, Kevin Lace, joined me with his wife, Lindsay. So if you missed out on that, please go back one episode and download 51. Uh, We're going to get the other side of the coin today. Brandon Webb is a single dad, uh, so it will be exciting to hear his perspective on fatherhood. Uh, Episode 50, on Memorial Day, I had Jason Redman on the podcast, and boy, did he have some awesome insights to share about fatherhood. So I really recommend, if you missed out on that one, go back to episode 50 and give that one a shot. You're definitely going to love it. Still to come this week on Navy SEAL Week, tomorrow, former Navy SEAL and from Shark Tank fame, Eli Crane will be here, the founder of Bottle Breacher, so that's going to be exciting. And on Friday, to cap it all off, the guy who shot Osama bin Laden right in the face and put him out for the count, Rob O'Neill, will be joining me here on First Class Fatherhood. So please, keep it locked in, share the podcast with all of your friends, sharing is caring. Uh, Right after a quick spot, I will be right back here with First Class Father and former Navy SEAL Brandon Webb. I'm Alec Lace, and you are listening to First Class Fatherhood. I cannot say thank you enough to all the listeners out there. You will hear a word from my sponsors in the middle of today's interview. If you would like to help me make First Class Fatherhood ad-free, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by hitting the link in the description of today's podcast episode. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is an entrepreneur, best-selling author of books such as The Killing School, The Red Circle, and Total Focus. He is the editor-in-chief of SoFREP, He's the founder of Crate Club, and of course, he is a former Navy SEAL. Brandon Webb, welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
1: Thanks, Alec. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, the only thing I would add to that is uh, I've been an entrepreneur now longer
0: than I've been a Navy SEAL, (laughs) which I'm pretty proud of. All right, let me fire away here. Uh, How many kids do you have, and how old are they? I have three
1: amazing kids, uh, two boys and a girl. Uh, 10, 14, and 16.
0: Um, okay, I understand you're a single dad, so this will be especially helpful uh, for my single parent listeners out there. What, what could you tell me about your experience?
1: Yeah, I'm divorced. I'm a divorced dad. Uh, I don't have a normal, um, even a normal divorced kind of situation with my kids. So my kids mostly... Live with their mom full time, and and who's remarried. She's she remarried a really nice guy. Uh, so the, they've got a great stepdad, and they've had two more um, kids. My ex and her husband, uh, t- two little girls, and so my my children have two um, two new sisters. But uh, yeah, it's it's not. Well, we can get into it if you want, but it's um, you know the fact that they live across the other coast and. We have a a different relationship, but it works for us, and I get along great with their mom and and her husband. In fact, last, last Thanksgiving I cooked dinner for for her family and her and her husband and all the kids. So it's that it's that kind of relationship which I'm grateful for.
0: Yeah, what were some of the biggest challenges as a dad that you faced going through that whole ordeal? The hardest part, like going back, uh, you know, me as a parent,
1: and I got to tell your audience my. My mother called child protective services on herself when I was a two-year-old kid in Canada. Like she was ready to kill me. <laughs> she didn't know what to do with do with me. I was a terrible kid as a two-year-old. Um, so, um, you yeah, know, as a as a parenting is tough. And I remember my probably my biggest challenge was going being a married father of three, being a little league coach. And then having my marriage, and coming off losing my first business and my entire life savings, coming off that, having been through so many hurdles in in the marriage, you know, with I got married very young, and uh, my ex had just graduated San Diego State University, and I went off to war with SEAL Team Three, and she had my oldest son when I was in Afghanistan. Um, and so we've been through all this stuff and but we had just realized through counseling that we were better off you know our goals for the future weren't aligned and we were better off apart and it was tough because i went from being a very involved father to you know her packing up the children and moving to her family's ranch and i was alone at home in an empty house Having to explain to all my neighbors what happened. You know, I was, I felt embarrassed and I felt like I was a failure in some ways as a dad and, and a husband. But then making the decision to, you know, be, have a good divorce and be a good, a good dad and a good co parent. And that was something that my ex and I worked out. Thankfully, we had an incredible psychologist that, that worked with us to really develop a relationship uh, around raising really great kids and, and and really you know as simple as it was it was I remember the the lady we work with, uh, the counselor, she said, look, happy mom, happy kids, and that really stuck with me. So any any request that she would make, I would even though sometimes I'd get triggered and have a reaction like, How you know, how dare you do this? Um and even sometimes the law is on your side. I just learned to to really put put their mom's happiness first because um, it really did translate to the to the kids later on, and and you just the the children like they know that both parents love them, and if they're not if they're very supportive um, in a divorce, and, and I and I get that my situation is different. It takes two, two people really have to make a decision that, you know, if, if they're going through a divorce, that they're going to put the kids first. Cause I I see a lot of, I get judged a lot by people. I can tell I meet them for the first time. They ask me about my kids and they go, what do you mean your kids live on the other coast? The fact is it's, it's a decision that my ex and I made to have stability in their lives. Um, and they know mom and dad love them, and and the time that I do get with them, because I see him on on the big school holidays, and and in between if it's an important event, and and then we use FaceTime to kind of supplement that. But I don't I don't swap them out every weekend or every week. They just they stay in their home. They have a stable house, and they know mom and dad love them. And the kids are doing incredible. And I see so many people that maybe they get their kids more frequently than I do but they're not spending quality time they're not present and being present in your children's lives is super important um and you know digging in and asking you know important questions rather than hey how'd your day go and you're going to get these little bullshit answers like oh no what happened today nothing (laughs) okay rather than I you know ask my kids all the time what's your biggest challenge that you had to deal with this week or what are you most looking forward to? What was the most exciting thing that happened to you? So the the way that we talk and question our kids is super important. I think as parents and the last thing I'll finish with, and I'll shut up and let you ask questions. Um, I was really fortunate to be involved with the sniper turnaround and the seal teams before I left. And we embrace positive psychology and that if, if it's one thing I can recommend to parents, uh, and fathers is to really pay attention on how you talk to your kids, um, where positive psychology is is concerned, uh, because your kids are out there in the world and, and you and I have both been in school or in situations as adults where people say just the nastiest things and they, you know, they judge and they put their own opinions and, and insecurities on, on each other. And I see people doing it to children all the time. Uh, So to give your kids some tools to deal with that, the outside world and how, you know, to to deflect negative influence and to deal with their own self-talk is something I, it's probably the biggest takeaway for me being a Navy SEAL and, and, serving as a sniper course manager and, and parenting, taking that positive psychology and seeing how it works for seal snipers and the top performing athletes in the world and applying it to parenting has been extremely powerful. And, and my kids are phenomenal.
0: Um, it's, but anyway, okay. Now you said in there th- through counseling, you discovered that you both had different visions of the future. Uh, after so many years of sharing the same dreams as a married couple, uh, how, how do you go, how do you find your footing after something like that? And then how do you muster up the belief in any kind of new plan that you formulate or any kind of new vision that you have for the future?
1: Yeah, you, you know, it, it was back to that, that initial challenge for me. I mean, you know, when I got divorced, I was devastated. I mean, I dealt with grief. I was angry, but really putting the kids ahead of everything Going, you know what, I need to like put that aside my own feelings, and really, it's going to take hard work to, to develop a new type of relationship with their mother. Um, and on top of that, you know, the psychologist we used said, Look, your your family's going to choose sides and they're going to start mouthing off, and your job is to kind of keep your side of the yeah, it's family. Vicious. Yeah, nice. No. Yeah, she, and I had my, I love my mom. My mom and my sister are great. My dad's. My dad's a great person, but there were many times I had to say, look, I don't want to hear you say that about my kid's mom because you don't know her situation, and I don't want to hear it, and I don't want the kids hearing it. That's the last thing I want them to hear, and it lasted about a year and a half, two years, and then our parents on both sides, like, we set the example, and all of a sudden they started getting along. And her parents are checking in with me, saying, "Hey, how are you doing? Have you met somebody? If you want to come by
0: our ranch, you're more than welcome." Uh, and as a dad, it's hard to imagine being separated so far from your kids. Did you Did you agree at the time that the best thing for your children was to be so far away from you? You know what? I was extremely pissed off, and the law was again. Um,
1: you know, we got divorced in California. The law, if I had have enforced the rule of the law, they would have stayed in the county because that's where I was living. But I, I had it explained to me that, you know, oftentimes the mother is so important in the kids' lives that, you know, getting, getting her in a really good headspace and supporting her was the best thing. And it's the best decision I ever made was putting my own bullshit aside and focusing on really making sure their mom was in a good place emotionally and and physically. And the the proof's in the pudding. I mean, I've I took my my oldest son. Just he scored um, so high on his pre-SAT. He's getting scholarship offers. He's a straight A student. He's just a good person. Like he's I'm all my kids are amazing, but they're just the number one comment I get when I bring my kids around to other adult friends is like, wow, your kids are so compassionate, well-behaved and, and worldly. It's because I've traveled with them. I've exposed them to hard work and like my oldest um, son um, had been to Africa with my mom on safari. Like he's seen poverty and, and um, you know, I just, I think exposing children to, Different cultures and and countries where you know, look, you live in America. It's a great country, but not everybody is lucky to be born here. Um, and they they've seen that, and and also letting your kids make mistakes and yeah, go do go ride a bike with no helmet and and fall and knock your head. You know, it's just like yeah. some. It, we're too protective of, of. I think there was a generation. A lot of Gen Xers were really too protective with their kids, and and you know it's one thing to treat everyone equally and with respect. It's another to kind of give everybody a participation trophy because life doesn't work that way. In the real world, people win and lose and fail, and life
0: is life is tough. I definitely have some faith in the generation that's coming up here. I feel like they're going to be educated and have access to so much more information than we ever did. Okay. Let me turn this over to one of the hot topics. Uh, There's been a rise in school shootings. As you know, Uh, you have school aged children, you're a former Navy SEAL. They're talking about putting armed guards in the schools. What's your opinion on the crisis?
1: My opinion, um, my opinion is that if, if I could, and for one, I think, you know, I'd like to march most politicians off a cliff. Um, I just think they, you know, we have, and and when I say politicians, it's really like they're the ones putting forth new legislature and laws, and, you know, and and it's just, I think we are in a political situation where just stuff's not getting done effectively in D.C., but, you know, back to the school stuff, you know, I talk with um, my friends and parents, and, you know, me as a Navy SEAL, given all my background, I think the most effective way to combat a, a potential active shooter would be to put a couple canines in the school. Those dogs we use them on active duty and okay. SEAL teams. And then the canines, you can train them to react and probably detect beforehand, because animals are are incredible about paying attention to those environments. You put a couple dogs in that school and they're gonna protect the pack. And I'll tell you what, there's those those dogs that we used overseas um are incredible and they will go right after a shooter with no hesitation. Wow. That's, that's
0: um, awesome. I haven't heard that yeah. before. That's and, awesome. and
1: I and I think that's the best thing. I mean, teachers with guns, I think is a huge mistake uh, unless it, it very, it's going to be a very rare situation where a teacher with a gun in the classroom is going to be proficient enough to use that firearm in a high pressure, high stress situation. Because most police don't get that kind of, in-depth training they should but most don't and in a gunfight and when the heart rate is elevated uh it's it's a whole nother situation so i think the canines are probably the biggest solution and and then some type of you know reasonable uh conversation around you know trust me i'm probably gonna people are gonna take it out of context when they listen to it because it's the the sad thing in this country is if you're not one side of the gun debate or the other, you're wrong. And that's just not, that shouldn't be the case. We should be having intelligent debate and conversations around how to make, how to respect the second amendment, but make, uh, our schools and public places safe. So people don't have to worry about sending their kids to school with bulletproof inserts in their backpacks and, and we had, you know, the business that I run today, you know, we have a big, I think it's the largest kind of tactical survival club in the, in North America. We did, I was in a JFK airport active shooter situation. It, it ended up being, somebody called it in a, and it was a, a hoax, but the whole airport was on alert. Police accidentally discharged their weapon. It was complete chaos and pandemonium, and I, I developed for our club this bulletproof insert that goes into backpacks and briefcases. And when the school shootings started happening with Frequency, like we can't even keep these things in stock. But it's just sad to think that parents have to put bulletproof inserts in their kids' backpacks. And that's, you know, I think it's, it's a case where... I mean, I,
0: all right, it is now time for a word from today's sponsors, and I'll be right back with more of the action on First Class Fatherhood.
1: It's a podcast on fatherhood, but I just did a whole Harvard uh, case study. Um, yeah, I'm a member of uh, YPO. It's a business organization, and we did a executive course with, with Harvard, and we did a big case study on this kind of vanishing middle class in America. And it, when you have the haves and the have-nots, um, you know you have this gap in the middle, and it, and it 's why I think we've seen this country has gotten so polarized around certain issues. You either have to be on one extreme or the next, um, but I think you know on any topic, whether it 's parenting, you know, school shootings we should have we should be able it 's America we should be able to sit down and have intelligent conversations without banging our fists
0: on the table and, and not hearing the other person's perspective. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, do your kids show signs of going the entrepreneurial route or maybe even following in your footsteps in the military, becoming a SEAL? You know, I've got,
1: it's one thing I love about being a parent is my oldest son, uh, he's he's incredibly academic, he's in band, he's on the speech and debate team. Um, he wants to go into artificial intelligence and he really wants to go to Stanford and he 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 is entrepreneurial, my daughter she's you know out of the two boys she's got the most kind of assertiveness and dry like she's she's a ski racer, you know she'll be the first to jump off a off a cliff into the lake where their brothers are like gotta warm up a bit to that <laughs> you know, but she's a go getter, but she's very artistic she's make she makes movies on her ipad she she just got her her drama class voted her screenplay to, to make into a mini movie. Like she's very creative and artsy, but also, um, you know, she's expressed out of all, both of them. She's really expressed like an interest in starting her own business. I, I remember I was riding the ski lift with her in Lake Tahoe, and she said, "You know what? I'm really into architecture. Maybe I'll one day I'll have a, a, I'll open my own architecture firm." And I said, "That's great, Livy," which is her nickname. Um, I said, I'll be your first client. She's like, you know what, Dad? She's like, you can be number two. I'm going to be my first client. <laughs> it's like, I was like, she's 13? Where does this stuff come from? But And my youngest is super into sports. And he, out of the bunch, he's probably the only one that I could kind of see gravitating towards um, the military or, or maybe following in my footsteps. But to me, my job as a parent is to is to support these kids in whatever they want to pursue. If my youngest son wants to go dance ballet, go for it, knock yourself out, if that's what makes you happy. Um, I just want to expose them to as many different opportunities as possible and then support their, their passions. And, and what I told my kids, I say, look, you know, I've worked my ass off. I left home at 16 years old, kind of about my, my dad's encouragement. And everything I own, I've, I'm, I've self-made. And you, know, you have this amazing opportunity now to go do whatever the hell you want to do in life. And, and we're not, I'll be upset if you don't reach as high as you can and, and pursue your own dreams. And if you fall, I'll always be here to catch you. Like your mom and I will always be here. But you need to go out and create your own path because um, nobody can do it for you not me, not their mom. Um, And and that's my advice to my kids. Like you, you kind of owe it to, to me
0: now and your mom, because we've sacrificed a lot to go out and do this and take risks. Yeah. Well said. Uh, You have written a number of books, Uh, the killing school and the red circle are two that I read and really enjoyed. Do you have any other writing adventures coming up?
1: Yeah, I have a book called mastering fear coming out. Uh, It's, it was inspired. Uh, I taught my best friend uh, Kamal Ravikant, who's a best-selling author and, and runs a, a venture capital fund. Uh, he, I learned a year into our friendship that he didn't know how to swim, and he was asking me for advice on taking lessons. And I said, "Look, I can't have like one of my best friends not." And I'm a former, like I grew up in the water, became a <laughs> Navy SEAL. I was like, "This is crazy." So. I said, give me a week of your time in the morning. Give me two hours a day, and I'll teach you how to swim. And so I did that over a week. And when I analyzed his situation, it it wasn't that he didn't know how to swim. It was that he had a fear of the water. Um, And so I had to deal with that first. I had to get him very comfortable in the water and then teach him how to swim. And he said, that approach, nobody has ever taken with me. They kind of put me in the pool and, like, Shouting instructions on how to do swim strokes when 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 the core issue was he his fear of the water. So I helped him get over that, and then when we got out of the pool on Friday, he's like, "You changed my life. You should write a book about this." And so that's I decided to to write a book about fear because I we all deal with fear. I'll sit here and tell you with a straight face. I was I love skydiving in the SEAL teams. I was scared shitless my first huh. skydive. I lost a best friend on a training skydive right before I was supposed to go to, to get my billet in the military and learn. And, and I was nervous every time, like public speaking. There's only two types of speakers. I think Mark Twain said there's um, you know, people who are, are nervous and then people who are lying that they're nervous. <laughs> because everybody, everybody has a little bit of that fear and nervousness. Um, and we all deal with fear every day. So, you know, the the idea was, with the book was, which is called Mastering Fear, is to show examples and true stories of people who have lived in constant, like constant fear, like we all do. But but make there are people that kind of make decisions early on to 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 make a habit out of confronting their fear, and and recognizing it and pushing through. Um, And then there's, you know, hopefully this will help people that may be a little bit stuck uh, when it comes to that. Because, you know, I I see it all over the place with people are afraid to make career moves. Maybe they're in bad relationships and they're just they're they're afraid to kind of take that next step. So hopefully the book
0: book will help some people. What kind of advice would you give new fathers or about to be parents out there?
1: Like anything, I would say definitely. Um, it helps to read some books on parenting. Uh, if I would recommend a book, it's called "With Winning in Mind." It's written by a friend of mine, Lanny Basham, who's a gold medalist, one of the true pioneers of of mental management. Um, he actually just wrote a book called "Parenting Champions," uh, but that Lanny is amazing, amazing coach, amazing parent. But but to read and and prepare, and you know, it, it's like. Being a captain of a ship or in charge of a business, nothing is going to prepare you until you're holding the the, the helm. <laughs> but it helps to kind of read and and get an idea of what's going on. And um, there's plenty of great books on parenting out there. But and then listen to the podcast like this. This is great a great resource for for fathers, um, you know, to, to educate themselves on because uh, you. Know, it's I think. Greater than fifty percent of America is divorced. There's so it's, there's so many challenges out there as a parent, um, you know, and there's so many outside influences that you really do have to. Uh, my job is look. I'm gonna tra- I'm not gonna be out there protecting my kids. I'm gonna train them to protect themselves in the sense of you know the voices and influencers that are out there, you know, putting stuff in their head. I'm gonna teach them how to like deflect that stuff, you know, back to my conversation earlier on the the positive psychology and, and self-talk. Because we're all walking around with this self-talk. Um, and so I'm teaching, you know, I taught them early on how to deal with that stuff on their own because I'm not going to be there all the time. Their mom's not going to be there all the time.
0: Okay. W- would you consider having any more children?
1: Absolutely. You know, I I'm in... I'm am single right now. I've. I just came out of a relationship, and I'm dating again. Uh, and I. I would totally have more kids with the with the right woman. Absolutely.
0: All right, this may be a great idea here, Brandon. Would you ever consider going on one of them shows like The Bachelor? I, I mean, there's got to be a number of girls out there that would love to jump into the pool with a seal.
1: Not a chance. Are you going to kiss me no, on that show? On. No, no way. Look, I. I was one of the first wave of modern seals to write, you know, myself, Marcus Sattrall, Chris Kyle. What many people don't know, we took a lot of shit from our community. You know, it's now it's, you know, it's a little bit more accepted. uh, But people have no idea, like, the stuff that we had to deal with with our own community. And everybody, it's so funny because they reference this, this code, right, or the ethos. Well, that They wrote that after all the books and movies came out about being a, you know, professional. And really, that applies to active duty, right? It doesn't, you know, when you're, uh, my opinion is like, when you're out of the NFL, the, any type of public office or service, you have a right to, you're just a citizen. You're back as a citizen, and then if you want to write about your story, then so be it. It's like, if somebody doesn't Write that stuff. How are we going to record history?
0: I understand you guys take a lot of heat for writing about this stuff Uh, as a civilian and as a man and as a father. I mean, damn, we could use a lot more stories from you guys. And uh, I'd like to say thank you for writing them.
1: Yeah. No, I, I appreciate the gratitude. Sincerely. I remember having many a heated conversation with some SEALs who were on active duty still. Now, Today, they have books and podcasts of their own, and they get it because, you know, you're looking at things through a different lens when you're on active duty. And when you're out, especially when you have family to take care of, you know, life, life's like it. it's being a Navy SEAL on the outside and maybe get you a free beer at a bar. But other than that, like you're on your own. And you need to kind of make your own way. And, um, and for me, the writing has been incredibly therapeutic. And and that's something I think a lot of a lot of people may not understand. Like writing about my friend Glenn Doherty, who died in Benghazi, um, it's an extremely therapeutic way to kind of deal with deal with. And not only that, it's with, a way to
0: honor these guys and tell their yeah. stories. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, yep. I don't have a stake in any of it, but I, I just enjoy being able to have access to some of the material because it really a lot of it has changed my life. I mean, that's why I yeah. have. Uh, you guys, on. I mean, uh, it's very inspiring your your way of thinking, your mentality. It's just it's not the physical stuff that's attractive. It really is the just the the mindset that's that's astonishing. Yeah, I really hope your community keeps pumping out the stories because they have made a tremendous impact on my life. I mean, that's why I am doing a Navy Seal week here. You you guys are inspiring, uh, not just because of your physical capabilities, um, but but just your philosophy and your overall mindset. It makes it so appealing, you know, for, from all the seals.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's. It's uh, you know, it's an experience I'll cherish for the rest of my life. It's in many ways I get I get a little sad because I a lot of my a lot of guys, especially in my own community, have have struggled through the transition process, um, and it's it's sad because these guys have have sacrificed so much and they don't necessarily get the best help at the VA or the you know, when you transition outside the military, it's it's a very short class. You know, that's I think still one week long, uh, and then out you go. You know, you're used to this very structured environment, and then you're literally, you kind of, you know, you lost your tribe. Your tribe was the active duty SEAL community, and now you're on your own, and have to make your own way. Um, and some of the guys, you know, they they turn to drugs and alcohol, and it's it's sad because they're not getting enough support, uh, and, and help. So that's something I've been thinking about recently on how I can be a better, you know, better example, better help. Like, well, how can I, how can I be more helpful? And, and, and all veterans for that matter. And, um, but it's, you know, something I think about and,
0: how has the death of your friends impacted your children? Uh, are they kind of sheltered from that, or do they go to the funerals? Or are they aware of what's happening?
1: They, they're kept away with the one exception. When uh, Glenn, my friend Glenn Doherty, which for those listening, Glenn was a SEAL teammate of mine, one of my best, closest friends. Uh, he got out and went to be a contractor for the CIA and was in Benghazi part of the CIA team that was responsible for rescuing a large most of the U.S. State Department representatives in in Libya who they got out after they had that attack. attack. Glenn, Glenn and I were pilots we would fly to pick up my kids together there he was Uncle Glenn to them and when he died it was very public it was during the second Obama's second term election and you know highly polit- politicized and you know they were crying i remember talking to you know my oldest son in tears on the phone because you know they learned right you know right through the t- television and it was tough but I, again it's, there's you got to look at those situations and as sad as it is there's a lot of positives that came out of glenn's uh sacrifice in benghazi for instance uh, I started a nonprofit to give back to uh, contractors like Glenn and mili- military members that need emergency medical assistance that where the government doesn't step in. When Glenn came back, uh, his parents got a nice press conference at the White House, and then they didn't even give him a $200 to anything to bury Glenn and give him a proper send-off. His friends and I had to pitch in, so his parents didn't have to pay The CIA insurance policy, there was like fine print that said, oh, if you don't have a direct, uh, if you don't have a spouse, the policy is not going to pay out. Um, So Glenn's family petitioned the CIA to change that, and they actually back paid all these families in similar situations where they got zero death benefit, no insurance money, Um, all the way back to 1983 in the Beirut uh, embassy bombings, uh, and so there's a lot of cha- a lot of good change that came out of that. For my kids, it was the first time they had really lost someone close that they they loved, and it was a good life lesson, right? Like life is beautiful and and fragile, and people that people you love sometimes die. Um, and so it it was a good lesson for them, as much as as sad as it was. But that you know they're I think wise beyond their years. Uh, because of a lot of the things that they've experienced uh, early on and some stuff just happened but the other stuff that their mom and I made sure to kind of steer them into certain experiences in life to to kind of toughen them up and give them some good life experience uh, so they'll be better prepared to go out and do good things in the world.
0: All right. That's about all the time I have for you. I cannot begin to say how grateful I am that you took a few moments out of your day to spend it with me here on First Class Fatherhood. Great,
1: great.
0: Sorry, I rambled a bit. (laughs) Hey, come on. No worries there. All right. Brandon Webb, everybody. We'll be right back after a quick spot all right that's gonna wrap things up here on first class fatherhood please hit me up with a little feedback let me know what you thought about today's episode a special thank you to brandon webb tomorrow navy seal week continues i will have from shark tank fame former navy seal and first class father eli crane stopping by the podcast and friday we're gonna cap things off with the guy who capped bin laden rob o'neill will be on the podcast friday so please keep it locked in here I'm Alec Lace, and you have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. You may not always get the fly first class, but you are always a first class father.